Today on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, we're going to be doing a great episode with the guys from Source Pages. Haley Hobbs and Brian V. Klein are here, and we're going to talk about six comic book references you may have missed from Guardians of the Galaxy Part 3, Volume 3, Part. So pedestrian. All that right for this. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll, and today, as I mentioned in the intro, we have a very special episode. We are going to have Haley Hobbs and Brian V. Klein come to talk to us about comics. How you guys doing? Doing awesome. Excellent. Be excellent to each other, I always say. You know, BVK. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> what, I guess we haven't talked about this movie at all. Uh, what did you guys mm. think of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? Volume 3. If you guys could check out what we thought about it on our podcast when we review and compare, but while we're talking now, yeah, 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 I I loved it. I thought it was a great bookend to the series. I the only little thing is everyone was before the movie was talking about how like the whole like animal abuse and stuff like that, and so I was prepared for it because I'm like a diehard. I'm a member of the ASPCA and all this other stuff. I'm just glad that James Gunn didn't like show pretty much anything. You could there was impl- implications for stuff that was happening, but mm. they never really showed any torture or either like like when Lila got killed and stuff like that. It was sort of like off screen. But yeah, that's true. I cried a few times. Mm. You know the the line with uh, about Drax not being a destroyer but being a, a father. Yeah, Drax like, the dad. That was just like that was up there with the the Yandu. You know, mm-hmm. anyone could be a father, but it takes someone special to be a daddy type thing. So. Yeah. yeah, but I I I enjoyed it. I had a few like whoop whoop moments too. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, and you guys should all definitely go check out their full discussion of of that. They do the kind of their comics comparisons and stuff over there. Um, what about you, Haley? I I really liked it too. I think it was such an interesting entry to the MCU. It's so it's so not even like his other movies, which I think is why it's probably going to be the best Guardians movie to me. Mm. And uh, the thing that about his movies I don't like is that they do make me sad because the idea of somebody not having people around them or not having love, that, that sense of loss and loneliness is something that always like really tugs at my heart. And so while it's super sad in that way, he ends it on such a wonderful, like gleeful, heartfelt note. And so mm. you love that. And then even the the post credit scenes are just both like lighthearted. And so you don't walk out of the theater feeling like all you did is watch these animals be tortured and abused. You feel like everybody got this happy ending and everybody got this final chapter that they really needed. Mm. Especially because there was parts in that middle of the, the, like the second act, it got dark. Like Peter, that scene though, where him was, when he was flying down with uh, Groot and just like, freaking smashed that guy in the ground and then drowned him and popped the thing off his head. I'm like, that's straight up like Zack Snyder type, you know. <laughs> Maybe he was, you know, inspired by that. But there were some times I'm like, wow, this isn't the normal. And I was all for it because, you know, you have to, in that situation, it was a race against the clock. They needed to get this information because their family member, Rocket, was going to die. Mm-hmm. And they needed to stop that. So, yeah, it, it, you know, he- in the first Guardians, we see him like go, go ham, as they say, um, and and it's like when he wants his tape back, 
Um, and then, like, really, that's that. Th- those moments are some of the moments, only moments we've really seen him get really that. And then we found out his mother. Anything related to his mother is when he really yeah. goes mm-hmm. like crazy. That's his family. That's the family that he lost. And so in this movie, seeing him go so hard for Rocket. It sort of drives home the point that this is his family now. This is his found family and Rocket, who's, you know, as is greatly discussed in the second one, the biggest jerk of the, them all. Uh, he's still someone that uh, Quill will fight for. His best friend. Yeah. yeah. In this movie, too, another thing that got me was when Rocket was in there, you know, in the big fight scene. And then he's like, no, I'm Rocket. Raccoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he finally acknowledged that because the whole time he's like, what the, what's a raccoon? Now he's a raccoon daddy. <laughs> yeah, that, that scene where he was just grabbing all of them, rescuing him. I was and they're sobbing. crawling all up on him. Oh god, I was just like, Liz just hands me the paper towels. Like I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I can handle this. It was just like so. I'm one of those guys that like what I can't watch Pixar movies too much because any single one of them, especially like Good Dinosaur, if I watch that thing, I'm I got to replenish my eye doc, my tear doc. <laughs> just like a mess for some of those things. It's just I don't know, call me a sap, but. Mm. Kind of sentimental like that. No, man. It's it's it, we we've been talking a lot about it on uh on the Stranded Panda chat, I guess, this week. And we talked a little bit about it on the Marvel MCU cast this week because I think because Ashley cried so much in this one and she she's not the crier. And so there's mm-hmm. just been a little bit of crying discussion happening on the podcast and off the podcast, and it's just like things that, that that's part of this community of Stranded Panda is like we're not scared to say this stuff hits us in the feels sometimes, you know. And I and I really appreciate that about about all the all the hosts and all the uh like we all care about this stuff and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you cry or not but like we all care and it all like emotionally impacts us and that's part of part of why we love it the stranded panda community is pretty much like our own guardians like we're all Mm. like a ragtag group of people that came together and a lot of us consider others part of family Mm because you know that's just what you do and yeah you can feel you don't feel ever like you're gonna get blasted or like and if someone does say something like that there's 99 percent of the people out there that see it in the chat that come right away and just say that's not yeah that type of behavior is not you know, one here, of my so. favorite things about the stranded panda chat is when we get a troll in there who's clearly mm-hmm. trying to troll and they'll just say something like you know i just think this wandavision was terrible and then, Boo. like, right? Well, they're, they're, you know that—that's everybody's reaction. But no one, like, most of the time, they don't argue with them. They're just like, "Cool, bro. I liked it a lot." <laughs> like nobody's like nobody gets it. Like yeah. you'll get like like thirty responses from it because people will like be active and say why they liked it, but they won't like. I don't know. It's very rare that people are assholes about it. They just kind of like. Oh yeah, I really liked it. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, just like your opinion, man. Yeah, yeah exactly. They don't feed the troll. They just let him just be like, oh, if no one's feeding you, you're gonna... It's gonna starve. I've seen so many troll troll posts like that just die on the vine, and I really love it. Because, <laughs> like, no yeah. one takes the bait. No. And then it happens in another thing, and then all of a sudden you look, and it's just like, Ash jumps in, and yep, that guy's gone. Oh, yeah. So. Ash, Ash will sometimes take the bait. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we need her around sometimes. Um, okay. Uh, okay, so... Uh, let's get into what we what we came here to do. You guys brought us six things that we comic book references that we might not have known about, and I would love to hear what these are. Yeah. So okay. I'm going to start us off. We read two different runs as primers for this movie, and the first one we read was about six issues, I think, from the 2008 Guardians of the Galaxy comic run. 
And this is the run and the team in that comic run that James Gunn originally used for the MCU. So this is what inspired him way back in when mm. the movie came out in 2014. And so, like, the blue uniforms that they wear in this movie, those are a straight pull from that comic run because they wear the exact same thing in there. And it's it was really cool. I thought they looked awesome in the movie. Yeah, totally. Totally. That's cool. Yeah. That was that was one of the first things I noticed with like in the last trailer, I think, when I see them all walking with that dark blue with the 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 trim and the the stuff that they used as that final uniform they were all wearing. I'm like, oh, that's straight up post Annihilation Conquest Guardians, where they formed to try to like save nowhere and save save more incursions from happening. So, hmm. um, I'll jump on to the next one here because it also ties in a little bit with the run we did because we did that run because one of the members of the guardians was adam warlock so it was pretty much a primer for people to get used to who adam warlock was even though he's been around since like the 70s there's some early 70s runs and even like post infinity um gauntlet infinity war stuff in the early 90s was great but one of the members of the team was phyla bell quasar who ends up being that little girl that is part of the team that was part of the refugees that is right. with them on the mid credit scene. Okay, so she's Phyla Bell. Phyla Bell? Phyla Bell. Phyla Bell. V as in Victor. Yeah, Bell like Marvel because her dad was Marvel. Oh, interesting. And yeah, she uses the codename Quasar. Cool. And she is like one of those. Her and Anna Morlock in the comics are like OP level, like binary Captain Marvel carol danvers level of power well I'll, now i just need her to fight love then right oh that would be funny yeah. oh yeah. another young avenger yeah 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 absolutely uh love versus pylavel would be cool to see <laughs> <laughs> yeah that because you got you got we got our young avengers in quotation marks that are kind of mm -hmm. forming but a lot of them are like really young adult avengers like they're all like in their like 20s but like those two are very young <laughs> those are kiddos yeah. Well, that was the thing is that we were on our review and comparison episode. I brought up like, what the hell was Rocket thinking bringing this young, <laughs> like 10 year old girl with them? And like, because I was at that point, I was focused more on Craglin working his stuff and Adam Warlock working his stuff and Cosmo. And then they mentioned Phyla Bell. So um, Andre Sparks and Karen Thomas both wrote us saying, uh, that was Phyla Bell. You guys read about him. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Crap, cool. Now we know. Very cool. Remember so, you talked about it. <laughs> yeah. But it was just so quick. It was so quick that I didn't like Yeah, you know, I didn't catch it. Yeah, I didn't hear I didn't, the, I didn't hear the either. name at all. Oh, uh, that's cool. What are her powers in comics? She has like super speed. She can absorb energy and then expel it. Um super strong. Basically basically Adam Warlock like powers. Okay. Kind of like they were depicted in the MCU. Yeah. Which, which I still don't really have a full sense of what his powers are. I just know he's strong, fast, flight. Like, he's a, sort of Superman at this point uh, to me. Right. Uh, but I don't mm -hmm. know what else he does. They have both. I know um, Quasar or Phyla Bell has, like, force field manipulation, and she can manipulate energies into different, um, mm. you know, multi like, change the form of an energy and stuff like that. And I think also doesn't... And a warlock in a lot of sense in the comics too has like the ability to distort reality mm -hmm. and stuff. So he can make you think like, you know, basically have you go like on a bad acid trip or something like that, or make you think you're somewhere else. Hmm. So okay. again, I think that they're going to be using them sparingly because they can't just end up having all these OP characters. They may need to, depending on the whole Kang of it all, but 
Mm. You know, we'll see. We got a right. lot of ground to cover before any of that stuff, I think. Yeah, yeah, it just depends on what their what their plans are with Kang and like how they're going to do that now. Um Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So well, talking about the like one? the young adult Avengers kind kind of leads us into the next thing. So the other comics we read were the was the Worlds Collide crossover event between the Avengers mm. and the Champions and the Champions team is kind of like Young Avengers basically. They're a little older. It's led by Ms. Marvel and um, there's a spider. Is it Miles Morales that's on My, it? Yeah. Amadeus Cho, Hulk. Like it's some younger ones, and they have this like tug up between the two teams about listening to the younger ones. But what they do in the Worlds Collide crossover is they deal with the Animen, which is what we saw the whole planet populated by that the evo- oh. high evolutionary blew up. <laughs> I couldn't believe they just let that planet go. That was yeah. crazy. <laughs> I yeah. know. Counter Earth is where they live, and he's trying to like pull Counter-Earth and regular Earth together and collide them. Um, but in both of them, he has no use for the Animen, and so he like just doesn't care about them. So that's why James Gunn put that in there to show just how truly evil and like aspirational he is, even though his aspirations are totally off-base. Yeah, I, I almost, I almost wish he'd been a little more confrontational about the fact that he just murdered. I guess I, I, I have to see it again. I've still only seen it once. I don't want to see it more. Um, but uh, I, I like they're they're so upset about Rocket that Rocket is the thrust of why they do almost everything they do, and and saving each other. But like, I don't know when they. I, I had I was expressed it on our our, our uh, main watch episode, but I really hate they didn't kill him uh, because he just murdered a planet and he has powers and like they needed to make sure he was done for. I really feel like the whole like rocket being like, nah, I'm not gonna do that because I'm a guardian of the galaxy. <laughs> I, I just felt like Punisher in that moment, like no, if you do that, they get back up, man, they get back up. <laughs> I think that could have been a reaction to the fact that for the longest time they were always killing everybody off. Yeah. And then now, you know, they did stuff with, you know, I, I still thought at what kind of forever it's like, they can't just bring in Namor and then kill him <laughs> because they've already done that this year. They brought in a fan favorite and a popular character, Modoc, and he's gone. Mm. I mean, at least that form of it. So it's like, you can't just keep bringing in someone and then killing him off. But the high evolutionary was one of those guys that just was such an, you know, to quote the guardians an a-hole mm-hmm. like he but he just showed like the times when he got mad he got mad got aggressive got violent got fast got just like just bonkers mm-hmm. and so that's why i thought he was a little bit more of a uh a threat but yeah at the end it's sort of just like you know you reap what you sow but yeah you end up you, you always want to just end up on screen killing the bad guy yeah. and make sure he's gone especially when he's that evil <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It, it was. It's more like either either kill him or let him escape. Don't just let him live. Like I, I just felt like that was such an easy call to me. Like mm-hmm. he deserves, like he deserves to die. And if you let him escape, he has so much power that he may continue to wreak havoc on the galaxy. Like I just felt like that was the right call. <laughs> His main crux, though, in the comics, which they used the, the the nice way of how they sped it up here, is that he's pretty much immortal, so he has time. He has time to mm. focus on evolution. We're here, you know, the fact that, you know, Rocket was the one that figured out the way to, you know, clean the filters or whatever to do that speed up evolution from being, you know, a, you know, lower life form to a fully sentient, you know, humanoid type thing, which I think one of the reasons why I didn't feel as bad 
for them as much because in my mind when an animal like that becomes sentient and becomes like the ability to think it sort of loses the animal qualities and becomes more of a person type quality like a like a, a thinking being so they have the ability to reason and defend themselves in a sense where like the be the animals especially at the end when rocket saved them all were defenseless creatures they weren't able to fend for themselves because they didn't have that so mm-hmm. but that's why yeah high evolutionary especially in the comics too he was doing that but he was also like Mo- melding like humans and humanoids with animals not just like ex- um, accelerating the growth of the animals to become you know sentient animan he was like turning people from humans into like giant minotaur bulls yeah. and stuff like that <laughs> mm. so it's still one of those things that when we talk about it lockjaw from the uh, inhumans always just gets me it was like was he a person that became a big dog <laughs> right or was he a dog that became a big dog that <laughs> always bothers me it's got to be a person right like they're the ones with the Cree dna like he must have gone through teragenesis and become a pet like that seems <laughs> weird and dark like become like a giant dog yeah, yeah. what's the what <laughs> that's that's the dark uh teragenesis right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh, speaking of those, I guess we can go on to number four here, is that they brought on uh, Lila the Otter, who was an mm. actual pre-existing character who was 40-some years old in the comics. She first appeared like in the early 80s. And um, also, she was big in the, I think, the Telltale Games, Guardian of the Galaxy, that came out maybe five years ago, I think. Yeah. I, I always dug those Telltale games because they were sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure, but you also played them. Mm-hmm. And um, I think um, it was sort of like The Last of Us sort of was like that, but then also they had a Walking Dead Telltale game, so it was just like you have to do certain things, but Lila was one of the uh, characters from uh, there. But her planet in the comics is Half-World, which gets experimented on, so it's pretty much entirely... And I thank Haley for putting this word in because this is always one word that jumbles me anthropomorphic mm. so i couldn't say that the one time anthropomorphic you did so the whole their half world <laughs> is sort of like a um an anna or um, a counter earth in itself mm-hmm. too cool but that's also high evolutionary in that case as well no it's some other it's like a robot nope. civilization that experiments on them um, oh. yeah it's weird <laughs> gotcha it's weird that there's that many like uh, you know, out in the stars, galactic empires or whatever, like uh, doing experimentation on Earth creatures. <laughs> it seems weird. Yeah. Or like Earth-like, you know. Yeah, yeah. I just assumed <laughs> the raccoons and otters are actually from Earth, but yeah, I guess they might just be like Earth-like. Well, he kind of says that he has like a weird obsession with Earth, so he That's probably right. did he take does them talk from about Earth. <laughs> Or baby raccoons. <laughs> They've talked about maybe going back in time for to tell certain stories um, in the MCU, and like if he's been around and been on Earth, like there's a possibility that he could show up in a story in the future, even if he's dead now, he might show up in a in a past story. Mm. Yeah, and the same thing with like Kang too, because it's mm. just like that iteration, especially like what we covered in the comics. It goes back in time, and then he has all the time, so he can take the long road, and he goes thirty five thousand years by being around for 35,000 years. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our second to last one is just a little reference that Gunn threw in there. Um, at the end, Peter Quill's grandpa is revealed to be called Jason Quill. And in the comics, Peter's biological father, his name is Jason, which is J apostrophe S-O-N. And he was the leader of the Spartax Empire in the comics. But 
I think it's just literally a nod that James Gunn put in there to say, hey, <laughs> that was in the comics, you guys. <laughs> That's right. I remember hearing that. But both instances, his dad in the movies and in the comics is just a complete yes. dick. Mm. So That's his consistent. dad, Jason, <laughs> is just like, just a terrible. If you wanted to see, he's, he's part of the, the Guardians of the Galaxy animated show that ended a few years ago and it ran for like three or four seasons. Mm-hmm. One of the things was him, you know, because he doesn't want to be print because his, his dad is the king of the Spartax empire and he's the prince. And he's like, I don't want to rule this because you're a dick, you know? <laughs> so that's why he leaves. Ah, okay, cool. Uh, so yeah. it, I guess, you know, is this in this version of, uh, is, is there the version of Star-Lord from comics? doesn't have this origin story though of like no. living with the ravagers or any of that stuff i know that's something i should know by this point of covering all this <laughs> stuff but I yeah don't. and even like the whole ego of it all is way different too like they just brought in because again i could see them sometimes using it as the way to get characters introduced because the marvel their stockpile of characters they use is so immense i mean it's 80 some years in the making of stuff so when you get someone like ego they use him in a certain way like he's a living planet but he's in the comics like a living planet right he's not a he doesn't like a have like an face. avatar version <laughs> yeah, yeah that's it yeah yeah so the fact is that but they also then they could bring that character in and say like okay we've expanded our you know stuff so that mm-hmm. way i think it made that easier to sort of and plus a lot of times in marvel comics when they decide to do like their reset stuff changes all the time or something. Mm-hmm. So this way, it's just like, well, we can't do that. And one of the things I can bring up on source pages all the time is that I love when they use source material as a basis and an inspiration, but just not taking it word for word or verbatim because you sort yeah. of know where it's going, but you don't know how it's going to end. Yeah, that's why Wheel of so, Time was so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, before we started talking, uh, they were t- we, we, before we turned on their mics, uh, he was talking about how Wheel of Time is a trigger for him over on Source Pages, so uh, I had to do yeah. it to him. Sorry. <laughs> Twice in one week. <laughs> yeah, there was a... The, my, my, one of my uh, end phrases is never judge a book by its movie, or so never judge a book by its TV show. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um... The last one we got here is sort of a, um, I didn't even really think about it because I'm still was blown away by the last thing we've seen on the screen is that the legendary Star-Lord mm. will return. Yeah. Not only is Star-Lord staying, because that scene though, as goofy as it was with him just talking about, you know, a grown man coming to ask if you could mow his lawn <laughs> and stuff like that. It's just like a weird type thing. When they said that, first off, it was like, Star-Lord, yes, he's going to be, I mean. Yeah. We all thought, and I knew this from myself too, when we were doing our fantasy league draft, a lot of people stayed away from the guardians because we're like, oh, we uh, we guarantee it two or three of these guys instant death. You don't want to yeah. lose the points for that. No one died. But the legendary Star Lord is a comic run that was written by Sam Humphreys that pretty much took the place after it was his solo run from twenty fifteen or twenty fourteen to twenty fifteen when the original one that came out after Annihilation Conquest, which was the basis for the movie, the movie came out and then they did this run where it was sort of just like him doing a, a solo thing at the time. But that was called the legendary Star-Lord. So mm, okay. with that being said, it's like, just could be, because there's sometimes when, when we uh, did our, what was it for? Was the one where, when we were doing our primer for the holiday special, mm-hmm. it was Star-Lord grounded. The, yeah. He was the whole time, all six issues. He was on earth. Because their ship was there, 
but also the guardians were there too and they were all fighting so you know they couldn't get along and plus someone from wasn't shield was it it was, it was um, alpha flight Sword. it was uh, abigail brand he was like literally grounded <laughs> yeah like he they grounded him and plus he couldn't leave the yeah. planet and so that was mm. just like his adventures on or sort of like doctor who the third doctor when they didn't want to keep going out to space they grounded him for the time lords grounded him so he worked for unit and he was all of his adventures took place in london instead of through space and time and stuff like uh, that that's so. that's fun I, yeah, I, I remember so, a lot of references to that in in uh, in the newer Doctor Who stuff. Uh, oh yeah, Tenants Run or whatever. The yeah, the John Pertwee stuff was very much like he basically was forbid forbade from using the TARDIS. So anytime you saw him, he had an office, and the TARDIS was just this box in the back corner of the office. That's so <laughs> funny. It's so funny. But that was the first Doctor Who I watched too. So it was just like, uh, what is this? And then we finally got to see some of the older ones. Like, oh, okay, that explains it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really funny. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, thank you guys for for sharing those uh, those comics references. I if you if you if you enjoy this kind of stuff, guys, please go listen to Source Pages. They do uh, this kind of stuff every week. They talk about the source material for all of the geeky shows and movies that are coming out, and it's a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. Let me, uh, man. We had a, we had someone write in this week, and they asked us two questions that were comic related. And I meant to save them to ask you about them, and I forgot what one of them is. I thought I'd remember, but one they asked, they said to ask about the Infinity Watch. Okay. Um, um. Apparently, the team at the end was similar to the Infinity Watch team in some way, uh, and they in a they were sense curious. it was kind of, but it's it could be that they they could use that because um, as a different moniker, I guess, mm. because a lot of times like they've been using like if you look at the way that they, I think they use a lot of names. Thunderbolts, especially in the upcoming comics or the upcoming um, movie, but in the comics, a lot of times, and even like the animated show, the Thunderbolts are pretty much like bad guys. Mm-hmm. We see them sort of with you know in the movie, you know, Contessa Al is sort of being really shady and manipulative, but we also have Bucky on the crew, and so it's sort of like, well, how are they going with it? So with the Infinity Watch, it could just be like they're that in the name only, but it also could be like, well, we don't want to pigeonhole them into the guardians and so um, in the although, comics the infinity watch was adam warlock and some of these characters who were basically like they split up the stones after infinity mm-hmm. yeah. gauntlet and each one of them were protecting one of the stones and actually thanos i think was one of them wasn't he it was like thanos, adam warlock yeah. thanos gamora pip the troll hip <laughs> uh philobel which mm-hmm. was moon dragon at the time and there was one other one, but yeah, they gave Thanos who they just took the um the because that's why I was excited because Adam Warlock was huge in as far as the first time they had the when Thanos had the Infinity Gauntlet, and uh, it was his thing. So when they introduced him, Guardians, I'm like, oh my god, he's got how are they going to fix him? How is he going to be part of the the whole Infinity War type thing? And it's like, no, we're not, not doing that because <laughs> it's too obvious. There is a because um, also th- Infinity comic on Marvel Unlimited. That's just like a little bio about Adam Warlock, basically from start to finish, and they talk about the Infinity Watch in that. So if anybody's interested, you can go check that out. Cool, sweet, yeah. And he's also like he's basically High Evolutionary had a um, hand in creating him in the comics, so that's why they used him as sort of like the between him and Aisha mm-hmm. uh, creating him. But then also like the they took him out of the oven too early, which is why he's not quite ready yeah what and <laughs> why he was, was so goofy. it was worked perfectly <laughs> what did you think of that like a lot of people i've heard people uh sort of annoyed that adam wasn't more powerful 
which I, I thought he seemed very powerful, especially in that first mm-hmm. fight scene when he took all the Guardians out so easily. Um, if he would have been OP, yeah. it would have just been... It would have been over. Yeah, it right. wouldn't have been any fun to watch. And now he gets to have some character development, in my opinion. Like mm-hmm. now we get to see him come from like a three year old mindset to he gets to grow into an adult. That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he didn't you, you didn't want to make him into on screen the first thing you see him to total be like a using a wrestling term, even though I don't watch wrestling. He would have been a heel. Mm-hmm. Like he would have been the bad guy. Yeah. And you can't turn sometimes after you do something, regardless, you can't always get them the sympathy from the viewers to make it be like, oh, well, he just did that. He's like, nah, man, if he ended up killing Rocket or Groot or something like that, yeah, it would have just been like, the viewers would have been like, there's no redemption for this guy. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, just a, he, he's just done. But the way they did that was just perfect where it was just like, you know, they had concerns. I had concerns too, because it was just like, man, this guy is going to be powerful. But he was used sparingly enough. And I think it was more of a, uh, he he almost in a lot of ways was sort of like a I wouldn't want to call him like a MacGuffin, but he really didn't play too much of a part mm-hmm. except for he started the whole story of Yeah. I mean Rock Saving Rocket was like the part of the movie that was like, This is from A to B, this is how we gotta finish it, and it was because of Adam yeah. Morlock. So but he didn't kill Rocket. But then at the end he helped save, you know, you know, he ended up being just like, Well, you the one moment too when he's just like, Why did you save me? Was it Groot that saved him mm-hmm. too? Yeah. Which and then and then Nebula tells him that Groot said everybody deserves a second chance or something like that. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is really nice coming from Nebula, uh, and it's also powerful coming from Groot because this whole thing was trying to save Rocket, who's basically Groot's parent. Yeah. Um. And 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 Groot was still like, but this is what we do: we save people, and everybody deserves a second chance. Uh, it was one of the first things I've seen this version of Groot do that was like. A really good it was kind of the first time he saved the cat he's kind of mm-hmm. just been like a little kid and just doing what the guardians say or not doing what the guardians say <laughs> or severing yeah. toes we're not really sure um <laughs> but that was a really nice moment because just like he just saw rocket uh not kill because you know he's a guardian of the galaxy and then you turn around and see groot do that and save adam warlock it's it's really it's a really good character moment for groot which is kind of rare oh yeah <laughs> because of the nature of right. groot the nature, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we had a two-minute span that got me off guard and got me kind of, like, emotional, too. It was when they're on Nowhere, and Groot just says, I am Groot, I am Groot, and Gamora responds to him, because the whole mm-hmm. time in the movie, she was just like, "What? I, I understand that. I know who you are. Yeah. But then it got to the point where she grew and knew him, but then when we hear him say, I love you guys, like, that we know that, too. Yeah. We're part of the, you know, we're, <laughs> like, we're part of the family. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. I've never, I never had any problem with the DCEU, but I think it's in really good hands going forward with Gunn in the control, just because of his storytelling and you know. I think so too. Um, the one thing that got me concerned when I was thinking about it this week, or when I when I watched Guardians, I was like, one of the things that he relies on a lot, and this goes for Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, and this is he relies on like a character being saying really dumb things. And so he relies on his characters kind of like being so fish out of water that they say like incredibly dumb things a lot, which are very good for comedy. But like, I don't know. The thing with Gunn is I love him as a storyteller. I just think if that spans a whole universe and not just a little corner of it, that could get old. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's been my concern too. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be because he's met Superman Reborn Legacy or Legacy. I don't think he's going to 
make that into like a Suicide Squad style or Guardian style. He's shown that he can do stuff that would that's a be little more suicide. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> He's already done that one where he was the producer on that. Um, I forgot what the name of the movie was. I never saw it, but it was like, what happens if Superman was or Brightburn, Superman? which Brightburn. I still have not seen, and I can't believe it. I, I, it's uh, one of those that like. It's James Gunn. I'm totally, and I'm not a big horror guy, but it's kind of horror. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like it's a little more horror based, and like I'm not a big horror guy, so I guess I just haven't got around to it. But it's James Gunn telling a kind of what if Superman story, and I'm like, I really need to see that, um, but I have not yet. So, have you ever watched um, Slither? Yeah. So that gives me. I mean, you can do stuff that's a Which, little more that one. Well, see, that one's pretty similar to that same like comedy vibe of Guardians. Um, I don't know. I, 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 like, obviously, I love it. I love the comedy vibe of Guardians. I was no. just, I, I, I'm still the the thing that's out. The 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 jury is still out for Gunn as DC head. I'm excited about it because I love him as a storyteller, and I think he understands the beats, the big beats that you need to hit. So, like, mm-hmm. I think he will build long stories well. But I've yet to see how he does getting someone else to create under him. You know what I mean? Like, how is he going to be as an executive, as a guy who's like... Mm-hmm. He likes to have a lot of control on his projects. Yes. And so how is he going to be, like, giving that control to someone else and saying, hey, you make a movie that's like this. He said he wants to be very hands-off with his directors and let them do their thing. And then he wrote Superman Legacy already. <laughs> right. Well, he's still going to be well, a creator That was going to be his thing. But like you were saying with that is I don't expect in Superman Legacy the Superman to end up like destroying a building accidentally and be like, oopsie, Did I do that? <laughs> like type right. stuff where it's like making him be, I think he, there's a little bit with, he had a little more carte blanche with Suicide Squad and Guardians because they were pretty much untapped IPs. They're both the same kind of tone, like they can be because they both mm-hmm. have those kinds of characters in them. They can be kind of dopey and silly and it's, it works really well. And Peacemaker's the same way. <laughs> yeah, especially like that. Peacemaker, John Cena's character, played that perfectly as being the guy that doing the things for the right things for the wrong reasons or the wrong things for the right reasons type stuff. Where it's yeah. just like, but it's played very much like he's got tunnel vision. But then he also is like, that's that's what makes that show so good and so comedic. But that wouldn't work, I think, with Superman or any other existing property because he was pretty much taking a character that was unknown to mostly everybody. And, you know, but that's the same thing they did with the Guardians when they announced that back in 2012. Like, wait, what? We're just getting this going and you're bringing this into it? Yeah. And then it turns out being like the biggest, like, you know, Dark Horse thing out there. Yeah, so. one of the best, one of the best series they've done, I really feel. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Well, guys, uh, any any last things you want to say uh, about Guardians of the Galaxy or Comic Connections or just tell us some more about what you guys are doing on Source Pages? We're going to be reading some Miles Morales Spider-Man coming up soon. Well, next week, I guess. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, because then we're taking a week off the following week before uh, the week the movie comes out. So we're reading Spider-Man 2014 number one and two and Spider-Man Team Up 2014 numbers one through three. So if you want to follow us and check out what we're reading, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can email us at sparkpodcast at gmail.com. Spark with a C. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And pretty much what we do is we, we will do a lot of the stuff with all the properties coming out with the TV shows and the the movies. We don't stick with just Marvel. We just Last week, our episode was review of season three of The Mandalorian, <laughs> and we've done stuff like that. But in our downtime, <laughs> we took on the... Uh, the, the the pretty you know massive task of reading the Secret Wars oh, in twenty fifteen, yeah. and we got the first part <laughs> done, 
where all of them ends where right when the incursion is going to happen. And it's always funny because we talk about a lot of the comics like, do you realize that most everything and even in the movies, why does it always happen on in New York? <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. always in New York. But yeah, so we got done. We read already like the first, I think there's what, eight parts? Yeah. Seven or eight parts. Eight and parts, each part has like 30, 30, 30 to 35 comics. Mm-hmm. And we take like one a week. And so the first ones leading up were just like, what's this character? doing up to the point of like we learn what black widow is doing we learn what um sam as captain america is doing we learn what characters like silk or the punisher or magneto are doing leading up to the big event because it feels like the secret wars and the whole king dynasty is going to take that battle world multiverse Mm -hmm. turn and we're just letting people plus it's also just an awesome story yeah it's been super fun yeah you know awesome well, God Emperor Doom. <laughs> God Emperor Doom. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really would like to get into the Secret Wars comics, so maybe I'll try to go read along so I can listen to those podcasts. And I know you, you don't have to listen. You don't have to read. You can't just come join in, right? You do have to listen. Yeah. You just don't have to read. You do have to listen. <laughs> listen you don't have to read. You do have to listen. When we, d- when we do the shows like that where we're doing primers, we pretty much, like if it's just Haley and myself, what we'll do is we'll like do five to seven sometimes maybe 10 minute recaps of each issue that we mm. that we read so our i mean it's rare that our episodes go over an hour except for like if we're doing like reviews and comparisons we just start getting excited yeah. about it because we do have like with our dc stuff we've got andrew from animation deliberation nice. who's sort of like the he jumps on and does it so when we have multiple people we sort of just have a blanket discussion of yeah. the story but when it's just Haley and I, we sit there and it's just like we're basically reading you audio cliff notes to what's going on and get like a lot of the times too, like just laughing because some of the stuff they do in the comics is so outrageous, especially like the mm. Scott Lang Ant Man <laughs> stuff and even Star Lord. It's like I wish they could do, get something where Scott and um, Peter have like team ups, like just the two of them, because it would just I think be credible on, in the movies. Oh, absolutely! Those two actors playing off each other—they're ba- they're both great improvisers. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, and they've worked together before too on uh, Parks mm-hmm. and Recreation. So, oh uh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, Bobby Newport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, so, thanks yeah. for joining. Thanks for being on this today, uh, and uh, it's been a great time. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy, enjoy hearing about what hearing about these connections. Um, well, guys, we'll be back very soon uh, with more uh, MCU cast over the next few days. Uh, check us out on strandedpanda.com for all the podcasts. We've got so much going on on all the podcasts, so uh, don't hesitate to come check it out. Peace. Until next time, true believers. Thank you for joining us for the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. And a special thanks to all of our subscribers at patreon.com slash mcucast. You make this show possible. And a huge shout out to both. That's right, there's two of them now. Illuminati tier patrons, Walter Kreisky III and Lieutenant Bongo. Thank you guys. If you want to find all of our fine Stranded Panda podcasts, go to strandedpanda.com. And for a video version, check out youtube.com slash strandedpanda. And if you want to take part in our live streams, go to twitch.tv slash strandedpandatv. 